chapter one, if you want to turn there. I know that new songs are sometimes hard to grab onto, but uh, that one that one will be here for a while, so uh, grab onto it. All right, we'll be in Mark chapter one. We'll turn the lights up and let you see it. We are in a series of, in the book of Mark, and uh, we just began it not very long ago, so that's why we're still in chapter one. Um, we're going to look at... at the first of many stories like this, where Jesus goes in and does something absolutely miraculous, and uh, it just says a lot about a lot of things. And so uh, there'll be a lot of, of miracle stories coming up, a lot of healing, a lot of that kind of stuff in the next few weeks. And so I hope that you don't get tired of hearing uh, awesome stories about Jesus um, this one is, uh, is, has a lot of, of things that we'll actually get to come back to later. And so um, it's not like it's the one chance we have to talk about demon possession. So, you know, keep coming back. Uh, so if we get to that point in this story, you're like, ooh, he's about to talk about demon possession. I'm not. Uh, that'll be later. So just keep coming back until we get to the demon part, right? Um, in verse 21, Jesus goes to his hometown uh, not his home hometown, his like home base for his ministry uh, is is Capernaum. It's a fishing village on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you can go there today and you can um, see some things that were in existence at the time of Christ. It's still a part of, of the city. They have uncovered, uh, it's this big like octagon-shaped building that was supposedly Peter's house. And uh, then it kind of became a, like a church building over the centuries and stuff. And so you, you can go see that. You can go see the synagogue in Capernaum, which is, is not the original structure except for the foundation, these big marble slabs that are there. And that's the only original thing that's left. And, uh, but when you go, you're, you, can go like, you can go stand on a marble slab that Jesus probably stood on while he was in the synagogue, maybe even in this story that we're about to read, like this physical piece of structure you know, exists. So I got to go a couple years ago, and it was like uh, the only thing, I mean, public decency is the only thing that kept me from like laying, completely just laying down on that slab and just thinking about uh, how Jesus may have stood in that very spot at one moment. And so this is like, helps us give like concrete details and understanding to stories like this that you can really go to these places. And so he goes to uh, the synagogue in what would become kind of his home base in, in Galilee. And uh, starting in verse 21, it says they, were, uh, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath uh, entered, entered into the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he, he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. 
And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So, Authority. That's a word that keeps coming up in this particular story. The authority of Jesus. And so, for the last few weeks, I've been kind of building sermons around two questions about interacting with the, with the scriptures. What does God want us to know? What does God want us to do? Well, he wants us to know that Jesus has a ridiculous amount of authority. And that should lead us to do certain things. And so I'm just going to give you four very quick, quick ways that we see his authority and quick application points about what we're supposed to do because of that authority. The first thing, we see authority in his teaching. That they're like, man, this guy doesn't teach like the other guys do. This other, the scribes that would come in and teach, these were basically your, like, your literate people. And they were... They were um, like intricately familiar with the scriptures, and so they would come in and they would they would read the scriptures to the synagogue, who most of them could not read for themselves, and so that was like their that's how they learned through oral tradition. And so these guys would come in and they would read it, and then they would perhaps add in some you know some commentary of sometimes of their own, but most of the time it was just quoting other rabbis or quoting Moses, and and sometimes they would get in discussions and debates and that kind of stuff, but. Um, Jesus had a different kind of teaching. And we see this in other parts of the New Testament where, where he'll say, well, you've been taught this, but what I tell you is this. He's like, yeah, you learned it this way, but this, listen to me. Like, this is what I'm telling you. And that was different. Like, there wasn't any sort of uh, comparison there. And so as he's teaching, uh, verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching. Like, in the, in, in the original language, it's like they were, like, beside themselves. Like, they... They could not get over it. Have you ever been somewhere, like maybe to a to a conference, or maybe you've listened to a podcast or something, and you've heard you've heard just one of those like ridiculously gifted communicators, you know, where you're like, I, I don't think I've ever heard that before. Like I remember going to the Passion Conference as a as a twenty two, twenty three year old, and I remember hearing Louis Giglio get up and preach, and then John Piper get up and preach, and I remember sitting there just like overwhelmed with, like it was like my ears were hearing something for the first time. Sometimes that, that, that'll be with like books or you're reading, you're reading a book, you know, like Brendan Manning, you know, write something and you're like, oh my gosh, how have I never, ever heard this before, understood this. And, and this was even different, like more different than that. That Jesus was not only an excellent communicator, but he had authority with what he was saying. He wasn't just quoting other people or giving his own his like own opinions like another another dude he was speaking like on in like first person like from god with that kind of authority because jesus has that kind of authority like his teaching itself um like what he has to say is something that we are to respond to and so what's the what does god want us to know well jesus has authority in his teaching so what are we supposed to do we're supposed to like bring ourselves underneath Everything that he says. 
Like if Jesus says it, if we have it in front of us, if, if it has survived the years and it is in the Gospels and uh, God has made sure that we had it in front of us and it's written and read in our Bibles, then like we have to submit to the things that he says. If he says this is the right way to do something, then it's the right way to do something. If he says this is truth, then that is truth. If he says this is a lie, then that is a lie. The things he says, the things we see in the Bible, they are authority over us. Year, years ago, the, the elders uh, were, we were in a meeting and we were, um, it was kind of one of those points where, where we were not questioning the authority of Scripture, but we were talking about the issue of the Bible and, and the arguments that are around it and stuff. And, and one of the guys said, he's like, well, what's, I mean, what's really different, any different than taking a transcript of, of, of a sermon, like, isn't that also inspired by the Holy Spirit? Isn't that also, um, you know, like, like given to a certain group of people for a certain purpose? And, and like, isn't that really like the same thing as, as the Bible in a lot of ways? And I was like, no, it is not at all the same thing. And he was like, I don't, yeah, but I just don't, I don't think that you're right. I don't think you're right. I don't see what the difference is. So the difference is authority. The difference is, like, like, I can have a John Piper or a John MacArthur or a um, R.C. Sproul or any of these, like, really, really, like, you know, famous preachers. I can have their manuscript in one hand. I can have the Bible in the other hand. And there's only one of them that comes alive through the Holy Spirit to, to like, shape and to uh, build and to grow and to separate and to, to do all the things it's supposed to do. This is the only place where the authority comes from. And so the words of Jesus, like that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to submit to what it says here. And granted, there are times when what it says here makes no sense at all. I understand that. And there are times when what it says here, uh, it's like you have to kind of be like a first century Jewish person to understand it. I get that as well. I'm not saying it's always easy. But Jesus has given us a lot of black and white in, like, in these words and in, in his teaching that we put ourselves underneath. Uh, we can work our way through the gray, but he's given us enough here to know. So we see authority in his teaching, and when we're supposed to do about it, we're supposed to submit to everything he says. Second thing, um, we see authority in his controlling of the demonic. Look at the, look at the verse, look at 24. So the, when it says that the spirit was unclean, that's another way of saying that it was a demon inside of this person. And just, uh, you know, spoiler, spoiler for future sermons, uh, Christian, you cannot be demon-possessed, so don't, don't get hung up on that, okay? So this guy, though, had, a, had demons in him, and the demon even speaks in the plural sometimes because uh, the demonic is like a whole, it's just a whole big mess. But basically, just think of, um, of Satan and all of his, like, co-workers, like co-laborers in the destruction of anything that has anything to do with God. That's who is talking here through this person. So you have a human, but what is speaking, the, the, the demon has like taken over the body of this person and is speaking, like using his vocal cords and communicating with Jesus. And he says some fascinating stuff. Uh, verse 24, he says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He knows exactly who Jesus is. Like no one else in the room maybe is realizing who he is, but the demons are like, oh, we, we, we know this guy. Um, and he says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so what does Jesus say? 
uh, Jesus rebukes him and says, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. That the authority of Jesus, end of the day, he is far above the demons. He's far, enough, far above the evil in the world. He's far above the things that are, that are working against the church and working against us as believers. Um, this is like he had been in the, in the desert fasting and praying, right? And him and Satan had, an, had an, an interaction and Jesus defeated Satan. So what does Satan do? Of course, he comes at him even more. Like that should be expected. And you and I, we should expect that as well. Like if you think if you think for a second that when like during the thirty days of prayer, if you don't think that there's spiritual attack on our church during that time, I mean you're like you're kidding yourself. That when the people of God are seeing Him for who He is, and they're pursuing Him, they're saying yes to Him. Like Satan's going to come at that. He's going to come at you. He's coming at some of you right now. I don't think he's to blame for everything. I think we're perfectly capable of making our own dumb decisions and whatever's but but there is like a there is a battle in a different realm that we're not always tied into and it's easy to get real anxious about that and just I'm not real sure to think about that and this this and this and this and I understand that but maybe the comforting thing is like look Jesus just tells him to like to get out and he does he doesn't like it he kind of pitches a fit but he has to submit because Jesus has authority over him and the attack against the church, universal, the church, like our church, and attack against my life, your life, your family's life, whatever it may look like, whatever the attack is, Jesus has authority over anything that's coming at you. There's nothing that can get around him. And so what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with that? I think we're, part of it, I think we're supposed to relax. We're supposed to have faith. I think we're supposed to invite him into the battle. Like as we're praying and as we're, we're pursuing God, I think a part of what we're constantly doing is echoing the Lord's prayer. Acknowledging there is an evil one. Like there's, there is, there's everything that we're seeing around us that we're up against, and there's also this unseen element. I think we're supposed to bring him into it and say, Jesus, you're, you're an authority over, over our enemy. And so... Um, we need you to be like to show your authority to be strong. He wants us to know that he's in charge, and to not doubt that. And so, take that reminder. The third thing we see we see authority in in the freedom that he brings to the man. I mean, think about like think about how miserable this dude's life must must have been. Think about what that was like for him in the town of Capernaum. He's the demon-possessed guy, right? Probably not, you're probably not having him over for dinner. You're probably not, you know, hanging out with him. You're probably not thrilled when he comes to synagogue that day and begins to blurt out this thing while you have this authoritative, amazing person in front of you. And you're like, who is this? What is this guy teaching? Oh my gosh, I've never heard this before. He has authority and they're all freaking out. And, and this guy stands up and this demon starts talking to him, right? Now they probably didn't have a security team. You know, there's no takedown, no guys with earpieces, like, you know, swarming him or anything like that. They didn't need one because Jesus just said, no, uh, get out of him. 
And can you imagine being that man and, and seeing that the freedom where just the words of Jesus, just he, he speaks it and it happens. It wasn't an eight-hour prayer time. He didn't beat the demon out of him. He didn't, there wasn't any of that kind of stuff we've seen in movies or any of that kind of stuff. He just said, get out. And the freedom that Jesus brings to this man is representative of the freedom he brings to us. That on the cross, when he dies, him being raised again, him inviting us from death into life, he looks at us and says, you're, I'm going to free you from this. I'm, I'm going to just tell you, okay, you're, you're forgiven. So if he, can call, if he can speak a demon out of someone, he can look at you and say, um, your sins are separate from you like the east from the west. That you are a saint, you're not a sinner that you are my child, that regardless of how you're feeling right now, uh, things are going to be okay. That he has brought freedom to us. And what are we supposed to do with it? We're supposed to uh, worship him and thank him and celebrate the freeing work that he has brought to our lives. We're supposed to be a lot like this dude. Can you imagine what life was like for him after that? Do you think that maybe he could have been one of the guys that just always followed Jesus around everywhere? He's like, this guy got the, like, a demon out of me, like a bunch of them apparently, because they were talking in plurals. It was crazy. And all he did was just speak it, and it came out. This guy has authority, not only the authority that in teaching, but he controls the demon, and he freed me from the worst oppression imaginable. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to worship him and celebrate his freeing work in our own lives. Say our chains are gone, we've been set free, that forever we will praise his name for what he has done. We're supposed to cognitively think about our freedom and where it came from. So maybe this freed man is representative in a sense of us as a group of freed men and women. Last thing, we see authority in the response of the people Look what it says, 27. They were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. I mean, these people, were, they were stunned by the power and the grace of God at work among them. And in their stunned state, what do they do? It says, and at once... His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Like they couldn't shut up about it. They couldn't get over it. They're like, no, this guy has authority. He cast a demon out of a dude and he freed the guy. And he lives in our own town. Like he lives here. And as they went, and they went to work, probably, and so can you imagine the conversation on the fishing boat? Can you imagine the, the talk uh, down at the water when they're cleaning the pots and the pans and stuff like that? Can you imagine what it was like going to different places? Is that group scattered out from that synagogue? Can you imagine what that conversation was like? But can you imagine how that right there is, is nothing compared to our conversation, you know? Like we're not talking about died for the sins of the world and invited us into his kingdom. We're not talking about we're not talking about like that kind of message. We're just talking about this 
this incident, I'm not trying to say this is less than, but I'm saying ours is greater than, right? That everything you've ever done has been covered by his blood. That you are free from everything that has ever bound you. And so we see his authority just based on the response of the people where they're like, this guy is different. This guy is amazing. I cannot believe, I cannot believe this is real life. So what are we supposed to do? Do the same thing. Like we take him, we take him with us. I don't know what that looks like, you know? I don't know what that looks like for you at work or at home or in your neighborhoods or schools or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I just know my own context. I know how easy it is to, especially when you've been, you've been churched a lot for a long time, you know, you're, how easy it is to sometimes lose the awe and the wonder but maybe that's why he wants us to gather regularly, is to keep reminding each other and celebrating that. Maybe communion every time, every week, now that we do it every week when we come together, maybe that's a part of it, is the humility of standing, not humility like humiliation, humility like a humble heart, to stand in a line with people who all have the same story, and to the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you, and to tear the bread off, and I know that's something that's like, hard to do sometimes and, and whatever, but to go through that and then to be sent back out, like maybe, maybe that's why he wants us to do it regularly. Maybe that's why we need the gathering is to be reminded, man, this is us. This is, this is, this is real life for us. Don't get bogged down in the details and the to-do lists and the, just the busyness of our lives and lose sight of this beauty that we sing about that we share with each other and that we tell our kids about and we invite people into. And so he goes, like we're going to see this repeated over and over and over again, but this authority, that's over your life right now. It's over our church, it's over this moment that we are underneath this authority of what Jesus says, his power over the the forces coming against us, um, his power that in freeing us from the things that, that hold us back, and, and our own response like, just displays the awesomeness of who our Savior is. And so we're going to do what we do, right? We're going to engage in some of these responses. We're going to sing. You can come and pray down here if you want to. Adam's going to serve communion for us. And all of these things are us responding and being reminded that what this guy experienced and what this group experienced, this is us all the time. This is real life for you and for me. In Christ, and if you don't know, like if you don't know if you are experiencing that life, then don't go home without finding out. Let's stick, let's stick around. Come on, let's talk about that. But I'm going to just invite us all to respond together in these ways. Let's stand. Let me pray for us. God, I am. Um, thank you, Lord, for the just the beauty of this story. And yeah, we went kind of quick, and that's fine. But we see ourselves in this story because we see you interacting in a way that is uh, very consistent with what we've experienced that you've spoken truth and authority to us, that you have, uh, 
you have offered uh, like structure to the craziness that goes on inside of us sometimes, that you have freed us from what uh, has, has us bound and that you are about to propel us back out into the world around us. Um, would you help us to submit to you who are far above all rule and authority? You are above the things that are stressing us out. You're above the things we're afraid of. You're, you're above the, the, the best and worst parts of our lives. And so help us, God, as we step to the table or pray or sing or all of them mixed together. Would this be a time where we reorient ourselves and we intentionally bring ourselves under your perfect, absolutely perfect authority. We love you and we thank you for using these things together to close our time out. Um, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.